Welcome to another episode of ISPM Talks. I am your host, Marcela Hoffman Mourão. This new academic year has been quite busy and exciting. At ISPM, we're back teaching on campus, albeit still with some restrictions. And uh, keeping the pace of the podcast has been more challenging, but here we are again. The beginning of each year is always exciting for two reasons. We welcome our new first-year students, we have around 130 first-year students from all over the world, and we have our minors for the second-year students. In the Global Issues in Football Management minor, we introduce the topic of esports to the students, and again, I will list two reasons for that. One, esports is the fastest-growing sports segment at the moment, and the gaming industry is bigger than the entertainment one, that is, movies, TVs, and music combined. Second, because not only esports has surpassed football in growth, but also because more and more traditional football organizations are investing in esports teams. The students and myself were very lucky to count on many guest speakers from the esports and gaming industry, and now in a series of podcast episodes, I will bring some of the highlights of their talks. Today, we will start with Matthias Vink co-founder of the H20 eSport campus, the largest eSports campus in Europe and the only with a permanent eSports stadium. And we will also hear from Renzo Onrausing, operational manager for Team Hulet, the first professional eSports FIFA Academy in the world, launched by Dutch football icon Ruud Hulet. We start with Matthias, who is a formal professional handball player, having been part of the FC Barcelona handball squad for years. In addition to his professional career, Matthias studied management and business, and that led him to where he is now. The, the road to esports, as we as we call it, because my associate and me, we are both not gamers, uh, but we had a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, companies uh, who are uh, uh, into gaming. We have uh, we created two companies in in Permanent. It's it's close to Amsterdam. Uh, it's in online marketing and in software development. And there were 35 uh, employees uh, we have in, in two uh, different companies. And uh, yeah, they, we have a lot of programmers, developers who create uh, yeah, new software technology. And we, uh, we always went to, uh, well, as nice business trips uh, to, uh, for the employees. We gave them trips to, uh, to Spain or to Dublin, to Prague or we, we went to restaurants or we organized parties and our developers or programmers, they were not always very happy with that because they, they, didn't, like, uh, they didn't like this. And then we said, well, what, what would you like? And they said, well, just let us uh, game uh, and uh, go to game uh, 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 yeah, the competitions. And then we said, well, what is it about? And well, then we noticed that during their breaks, their lunchtime, they watch esports uh, on Twitch and on YouTube, and and then we, uh, yeah, we, we got into uh, into that world, and we saw that was a big world behind uh, the the esports uh, industry, and that they a lot of young uh, people were interested in watching this uh, online. So, yeah, we started to re- organize game nights. On Friday night, uh, we uh, we organized, uh, and it was very simple. We we put on a beamer and a and a big projector, and uh, we we just bought a PlayStation and uh, and a Nintendo and a PC, and we let them uh, play uh, games. And they stayed till the end, and they asked friends to come, and they were all really high skilled developers. And uh, and then suddenly we 
we had new employees and then we thought well we, we we should do something with this because it's quite new in europe it's very big in the us and in uh, in asia and uh, and we started to uh to travel to that locations and because of my sports background i uh, i could uh, visit a lot of uh, a lot of teams a lot of players uh, and a lot of uh, event uh, and venues and so then we we saw there's a big uh, a big gap in the market in europe and and we we dove into that with our uh, initiative so yeah we were wanted to create a campus and in a campus is always very important to have a community driver as you see in the in the latest in the last bullet point and we dove into esports and we saw that this is the yeah, the best community driver there is for young people uh, named uh, in the age 20 that's why we have uh, called it age uh, 20 it's it's uh, written in h20 but uh, if you say it in english it's age 20 and we focus on people who uh, will become 20 or who are in their 20s. So from 10 till 29, we focus on that initiative. And yeah, like in sports, if you uh, think big, dream big, believe big, the results will be big. The campus is located in Permadent near Amsterdam and totals 10,000 square meters. The ecosystem encompasses education, events and entrepreneurship. There are at the moment 15 star companies operating from the campus. The educational focus is very important, not only from the esports player perspective, but also the creative point of view, as Matthias explains. The ecosystem where everybody will work uh, together from, well, uh, seven year old, uh, who we have now in the, in the campus, uh, seven, eight years old, they go after school, they go to uh, yeah, some kind of kindergarten, but uh, the kindergarten is uh, focused on uh, uh, programming, developing games and, uh, and robots. And uh, we go on uh, till a high school, uh, middle, uh, uh, MBO it's called in the, in the Netherlands, uh, and uh, higher education. But how different is the management of esports compared to traditional sports? Esports, it's, uh, well, it's both in a team or individually, so you can choose your your game and it's or in a team or individually it's the same as in sports you have like tennis or you have uh, well handball or football uh, you have to in gaming you have to be training for years to to get to the top it's the same in uh, in sports and it's a short life cycle uh, because you you can't uh, play on a high level for a for a long time so it's a lot of hours uh, when you reach the top and it's only one one percent zero zero one percent who reaches uh, who, for the top. I was lucky to be one of the yeah one of the few. Uh, I'm the only one who played in Spain uh, uh, professionally as a, as a Dutch uh, man. But you, you can see that there's a, a small percentage who reach the the top. And in esports and in uh, it's it's the same. And it's a short cycle. So if you don't make it, you are. Yeah, you need to have something else to uh, to do after your retirement. And well, not everybody makes enough uh, money to uh, to not have to work anymore. So I think that uh, in physical sports like I did, there's a longer time that you can be on the top because I was 19 and I stopped at uh, 34. But in gaming, it's maybe even uh, if you start with 16, you uh, you are uh, the top of the world. It's till 24, 25, and then it's over. So 
there's a long life uh, after that. And uh, yeah, what we try to do is that all people also prepare to uh, what will they do in the life after it. Mm. Um, yeah, you train a lot in esports. It's even more you have to train because it's it's a little bit less physical. So in in uh, like handball, we have to rest uh, uh, a lot also. And in, in gaming, it's a little bit less. So you train even uh, more. And yeah, there's a whole sponsorship around it. A lot of visibility, a lot of branding, a lot of stars uh, also. And yeah, events uh, draw the biggest crowds. So uh, I was at gaming events in uh, in Poland and Cologne and in uh, in the US, and there go ten thousands of people go to uh, to the matches. And also different than traditional sports, the challenge of gaming and esports is to deal with the negative image that is associated with it. A uh, lot of times of uh, challenges is that gaming has a little bit of negative uh, image. And uh, of course, uh, addiction is a, is a huge uh, problem between uh, in the youth and one of the uh, 10 kids who play uh, video games, they have an addiction and it's it's uh, it's a problem. What we what we know that uh, that even in uh, in China, uh, this is uh, this is way w- yeah way beyond uh, a problem. They they just made like uh, prohib- yeah they prohibited young people to play games on a, on a, on a daily basis. Uh, so yeah, we it's it's uh, it's it's something that we are aware of and that we know that. Uh, we have to change that uh, that that image, or we have to do the right thing for for gaming. So in our campus, uh, we have gaming and, and and physical activity together combined. And uh, so here, if you play for two hours, you have to you get a message, and then you go uh, into a virtual reality gaming. So that that's that's called uh, uh, like uh, uh, physical sports uh, in VR, but also with a gaming element. But uh, for us, it's very important that they, uh, that they are physical active. We have also like big, yeah, uh, Wii. So it's uh, a Wii is uh, is this computer from Nintendo where you move a lot, and I think a lot of people know that. And we have uh, two uh, big uh, uh, hybrid walls where you can uh, play or dance or make uh, make a lot of physical activities, but in a in a gaming modus. And yeah, we we do a lot of things to. Uh, yeah, to change how people see, uh, look at gaming because it's not only gaming um, what we've talked about before eh? to play FIFA or to play League of Legends but there are also a lot of educational games and this is what we also uh, uh, do uh, to educate people through gaming so we made a course in Minecraft uh, so you can start programming from a Minecraft game so you start to, to build in Minecraft but we created a course that you can learn how to program uh, through uh, Minecraft. An example of using gaming for positive is giving some attention to kids in hospitals, particularly during the pandemic. What we did also to do good with gaming, eh, we created uh, uh, with a team of 200 uh, young uh, people, we created uh, uh, hospitals and we built all the children hospitals in the uh, in the Netherlands, uh, we we created them in Minecraft, and what we did in Minecraft was that the people who were sick in the in the uh, hospitals and they were very uh, ill, they could uh, visit in the Minecraft hospital their friends who are living uh, just uh, outside, 
And uh, so we made uh, in the game that they could uh, talk and they could play together. So this is what we did with uh, uh, with Minecraft, for example. So what we do with uh, with gaming, as I told before, uh, we can educate or we can also do something for the society. So all the children who are in the hospitals and they during Corona they couldn't get a lot of uh, visits. Uh, we uh, yeah we connected them in the game in Minecraft and this was a huge uh, success as well. So this is also uh, creativity through uh, gaming. You can do a lot of uh, special things and. Uh, yeah, well, we uh, we just raised some money as well for uh, for the children in the hospitals, and uh, yeah, it was a great uh, project uh, what we uh, what we did. The plans for the H20 eSport campus are not done. The idea is to extend it to 150,000 square meters, including housing facilities, uh, startup villages, and to attract international companies. Now we focus the conversation more on football and eSports. Renzo Mangrausing is the operational manager of Team Hulit that is more than just an esports team. Rude Hulit launched in 2018 the first professional and independent FIFA Academy in the world. What that means is that the talent players who join the team to compete receive mentoring and training, combining thus their education with the balance of school and gaming. But I will let Renzo talk more about it. Those two scout players that are like 15 16 years of age and uh or even younger these days and that still have to settle themselves in the competitive environment because these players were not known because they were winning trophies or they were capable of them now we scouted them based on well some of you might know the weekend league for example that they were doing well and then we um we adopted them into our environment, made sure they got training uh, and yeah, just got the right materials, for example, like that they could stream their games, that they could, um, yeah, kind of get their own kind of following. So on Twitch, on Instagram and stuff. So they are really going to make sure that they develop a career for them in esports, not that they just maybe compete for one or two years and get a bit of quick cash, but know that they can actually uh, make a career for themselves and that's whole different than most esports organizations they just sign the best players hope they do well get a lot of prize money and yeah uh, that's that's most of the business cases that esports teams uh, run and we are more uh, um, worried about the development of the players that we can on a long term uh, get a lot of return out of the players as well because they are getting bigger so we get bigger Developing talent and keeping a healthy balance is reflected in the hours of practice. While most people assume that esports players at FIFA are training for over eight hours a day, the philosophy at Team Hullet is different. FIFA uh, is a game where you can play it, for example, 12 to maybe even 16 hours a day if you were having none, uh, nothing else to do. But... Um, we play for like four hours a day at max because we also uh, a lot of players still study they still uh, work they still um go or uh, go to the gym and stuff like that and it's not necessary to play fifa for more than four hours a day if you train uh, uh how do you say that like subject specifically so we try to organize our sessions that we play into some valuable time as well 
So four hours is valuable time and everybody, uh, every hour else are just literally, um, yeah, lost time pretty much. That's throughout the day. I see somebody saying about a weekend league. Weekend league is 30 games every weekend that you play in FIFA uh, esports as well, but just in regular FIFA, everybody can play the weekend league. And that is a lot of time as well, but you should be able to do that in four hours a day. Um, but in compare, uh, compared to different games, there is a lot of, um, yeah, how do you say that? There's a lot of um, mixed opinions about, is it healthy to play eight hours a day, to play 12 hours a day, to play like we do four hours a day? And we think four hours a day is like a minimum. So we obviously do uh, encourage some of the guys, especially at the start of a new game, to play more play as much as they can but it should never go to uh, a point where it costs your health uh, uh, situation or study or, or your study is like lacking because you're just playing you're just gaming and stuff like that or uh, anything else that in life is also very important and even though this is the main industry at the moment it is still in development and Renzo stresses that that doesn't mean abundance of jobs and easy entry to it Honestly, it's a very difficult, um, how do you say that, like brand, brand to get into uh, in the Netherlands right now. Why is that? There is a couple of teams, Team Gullit, for example, Team Liquid. My, uh, people that know esports uh, might know them. Uh, Team Liquid is very big and they can actually provide full-time jobs or uh, nice part-time jobs that can actually... Uh, give you a little bit of security in this uh, in this uh, brand because esports still is developing faster than ever, but it's not likely that you are going to have uh, a um, a full time job in there. Why is that? Because it's still growing, as you can say, but like there's not a lot of money to be earned. <laughs> Um, it's not like my, like, for example, our star player, uh, Levy, he's uh, uh, 17 now. He's won two major European titles last year. Um, he uh, uh, represented the, yeah, the, how do you say that? Like the national squad. So uh, Oranje, the Netherlands national squad for FIFA. But don't you think that he's sold like a thousand kids with his name on it? No. Not at all. Like nobody's buying the kit because of Leafy or anything that we sell in our shop. So compared to like football or any any other sport that you can think of, basketball is a great example for that, the NBA. You can't just go out there as an organization spending a lot of money on, uh, for example, Leafy um, and expect to return get a return on that instantly. The only kind of return that you can get to it is that your team is getting bigger or has a, a lot of players signed that people think like, oh, okay, yeah, they can actually win some titles. And you could acquire partnerships or sponsorships. But these partnerships or sponsorships, I'm telling you, like I've been there, nobody really cares about getting a title or that you're winning this title or that you... No, they care about engagement. They care about being seen on bigger stages. So it would be nice to reach every 
huge tournament into the finals, for example, that all that really helps, obviously. But they're not interested if you're winning the first the free tournaments and you've earned this amount of prize money and this amount. So if you want to make those partnerships close, you are looking for um, following. The biggest content creators, the YouTubers that, uh, for example, do uh, FIFA YouTube, they earn more than the best player in FIFA, uh, way more. And they are way more attractive for uh, organizations or uh, companies to actually invest in or close partnerships with. So this is purely for the Netherlands right now. The Netherlands is literally like we're getting there. Like I've been here in this scene for quite a while and like five years back, there was literally pretty much no one was earning any money um, being paid for um, yeah, for like managing an esports team. Usually the esports teams that were around were based on uh, uh, on funding from someone that was really just uh, keen on getting his own esports team. He just wanted to invest in it. If you were to have the ambition in esports to, um, to actually get a job in, it's possible, but don't think like esports because some a lot of people do think that that esports there is just floods of cash at the uh, in there like um, there can be and trust me, we've we've been there as well, but it's it's still a, a kind of a struggle unless you're in a company like we are right now. We are slowly getting there, Team Liquid, but a new esports team usually has a lot of struggles. So the first five years might not be profitable at all, and that's where. A lot of esports teams also, you see them uh, rising up. Two years later, they're never to be found again. Um, there's, like I said, there's a lot of companies to, uh, investing in esports, and it is going to become something that is really um, just a part of society and a part of sports. It is going to get to that point, but there is no one that can tell when that is because. I might have not expected to be in the position that I was in three years ago, but then again, you could also ask yourself, okay, why is, for example, League of Legends in Asia is already something that contains millions of, of dollars on salary and stuff like that. And why is FIFA still then growing so slowly? Or why is Rocket League, for example, so is going so slowly? And why is Fortnite that started off with like a $3 million World Cup uh, or it was even more, it was way more. It was like a $10 million in total, but like the, the winner of the World Cup got $3 million. And then a year later, might be to, due to COVID-19 as well and stuff, but there was nowhere near that prize money available for the World Cup. So it's always, it goes like this. If you were to drive uh, or to draw a chart line, it always is like going upwards, going a little bit downwards, and it's never just going upwards. So it is going to come. Um, but yeah, I don't see, uh, for example, that you would work uh, as an esports uh, manager, for example, for Philips, but it will definitely involve a lot of football clubs, a lot of maybe clothing brands, because Nike and uh, Nike, for example, has the has uh, committed a partnership to entire league of legends um competition like it's the world competition so everybody that participates in that competition has to wear something nike branded so it will end up but 
you can't say when. Now, the main question during the week of esports in the global issues in football management was why are there still some football clubs afraid of creating an esports branch? Yeah, well, it's it's it's, it's pretty uh, interesting because Schalke and uh, 04, actually um, a Dutch uh, or Dutch uh, a German uh, football team, they actually uh, were involved in the League of Legends, uh, like the main league, the World League, pretty much, and they sold their seat in the in the in the league for 20 million euros uh, i don't know exactly what they bought it for but uh, at the time being but at that point that they bought it for it probably was like maybe 10 million max because those seats keep uh, increasing in value every year uh, so for them it might have been a business case but yeah the amount of cost that they had to cover every year i don't think they make profit on that anyway but it, it do uh, be, or like for them, it was an opportunity to actually be good or in something that's not football. Yeah. Um, Paris Saint-Germain, for example, is also very heavily invested in esports, uh, Ajax is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that they usually, uh, from FIFA perspective, the football teams do it to connect with the, uh, the younger uh, generation to involve gaming in the, in the football club so it's more of a yeah a different strategy marketing wise than um just being in esports pretty much finally one important element that team hulit is trying to work on is gender inclusion in esports overall the participation of women is quite low and in fifa in particular it's even lower um we've been in touch recently with like a uh, a clothing brand and they asked us where are your girls they were like where are the girls because we also have uh have girls uh or like a ladies cloth and i was like yeah um it's not really like fifa esports or something that is necessarily um attractive for girls to compete in like counter-strike you do have a lot of female players as well fifa it's you are seeing uh, a lot of female content creators recently yeah. uh, getting there but there is a lot of difference still uh, for some reason between the skill level of females and males in uh, in fifa but i we are trying to understand that for fifa because we are very interested right now in trying to uh, get a girl in our team because there is literally uh, there's a one team i think or two teams that have involved uh, a girl in their esports organization uh, as a player but they do still focus on content creation Whoa. like they're not actually trying to win the tournaments so and that's something that we find really weird yeah. and and fascinating in one way as well So the conversation today really focused on management in esports. So thank you, Matthias Wink and Renzo von Rausing for taking the time to present to our students and to okaying the content of your presentation for this podcast. On the next episode, we will focus on esports and gaming for social change. We will hear from Oliver Weingarten from London United and Wim Nordzeit from House of Esports in Rotterdam. And let me take this opportunity to announce that in the next academic year, 2022-2023, ISPM will be offering a minor focus solely on esports and gaming. 
So stay tuned for what's to come. And in the meantime, as always, take care and stay safe. Cheers. Cheers.